0: Hello, and welcome to the Channel 33 podcast feed. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Mac Weldon. Socks and underwear used to be a boring stocking stuffer. I know that I always used to regard them as, as a disappointment. But Mac Weldon has changed it into a top-of-the-line gift. The Mack Weldon holiday packs are not just a gift every man needs. It's the gift every man is excited to get. Uh, as winter comes, and you're just, like, cowering by a radiator or the fireplace, and you're freezing, let Mack Weldon fix that up. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics... And simple shopping. All of their products are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. They want you to feel comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund you, no questions asked. Not only does MacWeldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using promo code BSPN. Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan, and I am your co-host. This is part of the Channel 33 podcast feed, and on the other line, he's the last one to know the baby owns the cars. It's Andy Greenwald! We're back, buddy! What's up, man? This feels good! Episode one of The Watch on the Channel 33 podcast feed. That's part of the Bill Simmons Podcast Network?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is. It feels good. It feels good to be back. It feels good to be home in our own cozy little feed. I know, you know, man. I
0: feel like this is our pilot episode. It is. It's it's it, and like great pilots, uh this one will cost a lot of money and maybe a main <laughs> character will die.
1: And we've been slaving over it for years. Yeah. Really. It's been in development notes turnaround.
0: Len Amato like, has just been all over it.
1: <laughs> Chris, I feel like a lot of people, I hope people listen to us back in the old days when we we got this thing going on the Hollywood Perspectives podcast or a little out. Um we're going to do a lot of the same things here. I think it'll be hard to do different things, but I feel like we should sort of let people know a little bit, in case we got some new listeners, who we are, what we do, what we don't do, and what we will do for money. I feel like we should lay those (laughs) things out early.
0: Yes. Uh, Well, I will talk about Scott Bakula's career for a small (laughs) fee. and You you can PayPal that to me. That's terrific! Uh, No, seriously, Andy and I talk uh, usually early in the week, Mondays or Tuesdays, we'll be talking about Whatever the sort of biggest show on television is right now for us, yeah. uh, whatever the most important TV shows are, usually from Sunday night. Um, we like to talk about Game of Thrones. We like to talk about the, the HBO shows and the Cinemax shows and the Showtime shows and the FX shows. Sometimes and the Netflix shows. You never know. Then we call the hot route and we start talking about all sorts of stuff. Movies, music, uh, childhood dreams. Crime.
1: Crime fiction, crime my fiction. undying love for Joan Allen. There's all kinds of things that are ours and ours alone. And for people who don't know, obviously, Chris you and I, and I are the were, only
0: two people who have ever read crime fiction. Do you we're not, the only do, people
1: who have ever read crime fiction. Sorry, James loved, Patterson. <laughs> and love Joan Allen, unfortunately. Um, for people who don't know, we were obviously colleagues, co-workers, co-hosts at a website called Grantland.com, President Barack Obama's famous favorite site. But before that, did people realize this? You know, that you and I have been pals for 19 years. I think that we give that off. You think we give off that vibe that we just meet?
0: We we do not give off that we just met on friend Tinder. That's fair enough. Although I have podcast Tinder.
1: (laughs) I have been swiping right a lot because you never know in these trying times. Um, (laughs) We're excited to get going. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff and talking about it a lot more frequently, apparently, here on Channel 33. Um, One more programming note Chris Ryan's birthday today. Oh, thanks, man. Happy birthday, buddy!
0: I don't feel a day, day over thirty-five.
1: Here's the thing: can I just give you one like pro tip before we get into some new segments? Sure. You, you in the old days on Twitter, you showed your disdain for the medium by having a handle that was a little little NSFW, right? Like your your Twitter handle was Armed
0: Robbery at Armed Robbery. Yeah, but those were those. That was peak Twitter. That was back when people were really like using Twitter as like a weird community of art form, and, like, nobody was them their selves, quote-unquote, but yeah. now it's and more about, like, making sure your brand is right.
1: And you're out on the street like the cover of Young Buck's debut album. I mean, that's who you were back yeah, then.
0: Well, that was a good album.
1: Here's the thing I want to say, though. When you switched handles, you put the year of your birth, and I'll be honest, my birth, in it. So there is no hiding from these digits. <laughs> that's not
0: like it was an... I First of all, I didn't want to be like Chris Ryan 914 and have dudes be like, you're from Yonkers? <laughs> well, that would have and, and that's that not, because that's cool. not true. And, and I was just like, you know... Well, who cares? Let's be let's be transparent, man. Radical transparency.
1: That's what we are all about here at Channel 33. Just, just radical audio transparency.
0: <laughs> um, Andy, we're going to start off this first show with a new segment we're going to call in, in or Out, which is basically yeah. a, a way for me and Andy to kind of skip through the news a little bit, skip through the kind of cultural developments that have been happening since the last time we recorded. And it's not very complicated. We'll just t- we'll ask one another about a cultural artifact and be, be like, in or out, right? Yeah, I think that's the way we're going to do it. We're going to see how it goes. Okay, so why don't you go first?
1: Um, New Bieber joints. New Bieber joints
0: dropped last week. Uh, Where are you with them? In Musically, out on the idea of this being the new off-the-wall. Are people saying that about this? No, but I just mean, like, they're fine. Like, they're really really pretty. I think it was really, like, a great... It's been really interesting to watch him, like slowly, like, like l- releasing snippets on Instagram and singles on iTunes here and there, and like clearly he's probably recorded like two or three albums, and to finally arrive at this sound. I bet I would be curious to know the chronology of from when "Where Are You Now" came out to now, like how much of this stuff was recorded. I'm sure somebody has done this work, and I just haven't looked because it's Justin Bieber, and I don't care that much. Uh, what do you think?
1: Here's all I want to say about it. Anytime a major figure. Whether it's in music or anywhere, but let's let's stick to music. Chooses the beach levels of Mario Kart 64 as his lodestar, <laughs> as his like, as yeah. is like. Wait, what was the, what was
0: Echo the Dolphin? Was that the Sega Genesis character? <laughs> that was a game where you were just
1: essentially a fish and you swam around. Like the nineties yeah. were and weirder it's like, than wasn't people that, realized.
0: Was that the one where it's like you had to turn on the Sega every day no. to feed no. it? No,
1: that was that was a game called Sea Man for Dreamcast. <laughs> Yeah. Where a fish grew a sea man. with the face of an angry Japanese man and the voice of Leonard Nimoy.
0: Oh, that's right. Nimoy was on that.
1: That was a real thing. But I just want to say, I just want to say for real, the, I spent some of the most joyful hours, let's be honest, days of my life playing the beach level in Mario Kart 64. And anything that brings me back to that just coconut haze, which all the new Beeper tracks do,
0: that's good. Paint me a word picture. Where was this, where was this taking place in your life?
1: This was college, you know. This is we're up in Rhode Island, uh, the, co- the concrete of ours, buildings Harwood. of Brown. <laughs> John Harwood making some, uh, making some, you know, ninety-nine cent ramen in the kitchen. We're just, we're just playing games, just youthful.
0: Okay, you know? so I take it you're in on these.
1: I, I think, I, I think honestly, you know, my real reaction when I heard "Sorry" the first time, I was like, I'm so happy I'm alive because at some point in the next three days, this song will come on just in the atmosphere in the ether, yeah. and I will hear it and recognize it and really hear it, hear it and my heart will explode with excitement and happiness. And it did.
0: Okay, I guess that's an in. Andy, in or out? Memento reboot?
1: Uh, out, because here's the thing. So you, you, you want to you set this up? Like, that? that the Christopher Nolan film, the, the film that kind of broke him through? Yeah,
0: it was his first sort of, like, commercial endeavor. It was, it was kind of an indie movie, I guess, but it's Guy Pierce and uh, Carrie Moss? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And uh, he plays a guy who wakes up, doesn't know where he is or what he's done. Seems like he's been part of a crime. All the clues of the situation are tattooed onto his body.
1: But now the are they tattooed is, or are they
0: just written? They're tattooed.
1: They're tattooed. It, it, it's kind of like you know, pre. It's basically blind spot is the perfect version of that. You know, and
0: yeah, blind spot, spot was it, the was the market correction for. <laughs>
1: it, it, it took 20 years to get that that essential human story right. You know, and the problem was. It's not Guy Pierce, it's a woman, and it's not Australia, it's a duffel bag in the middle of Times Square. And like that's the kind of forward thinking Hollywood needs. Remaking a movie, and we should we should get this right. Like it's not like Christopher Nolan is like, oh finally I can, you know, prove that, that Han shot Guy Pierce first. Like right. it's not like he wants to use the um, you know, his, his his bud his higher Batman budget on this movie. It's that the shadowy company that owns the rights to his first film is gonna remake it.
0: Yeah. That's not cool, man. You're out. I'm out i'm only out because of what it does I'm, I'm worried about how it affects the reboot possibilities of blind spot yeah thank you <laughs> but in way, all other ways i'm all in because i want to see more memento comics universe films expand <laughs> the universe what's up with let me get the Pantaleano origin story
1: can I say something? That is a pretty, that's a pretty tasty piece of IP. You know, you can't just leave that on the, you can't just leave that on the bar. Can I say, like, I, I went, I, I, I know you like to, to hear about my moderating stories. You love it when I go and moderate panels. <laughs> it's
0: panel talk season, dog. <laughs>
1: when, I, when I do, when I do industry stuff. Yeah. People really have gotten super comfortable saying IP and and not realizing they sound like jackasses.
0: Oh, like, like just in casual conversation?
1: Yeah. It's like, well, here's the thing about the project. You know, it was a tremendous piece of IP, and it was just waiting to be snapped up. Like if in you reference snapping, to what? What are they talking were, about?
0: If you were snapped, I don't know, like the Heathcliff comic strip. I don't know. Like if you were... If you <laughs> Rebooting behind the candelabra. That's just that's just it's, smoking hot IP. No, or like the pencil trolls that we had in the 80s. like that's. The, oh, that's yeah, the like Dixie Ticonderoga expanded universe. I'm
1: <laughs> just saying. Um, yeah, but I think you really hit the nail on the head early when you were like, if the Memento reboot in any way touches the possibility of... Sweet Jamie Alexander in Blind Spot the movie. <laughs> it's not too
0: soon, man. Well, it's I'm just thinking soon. that maybe Memento, the, the expanded Memento universe, will be like Prometheus <laughs> to Alien, and we eventually catch oh. up to Blind Spot, and it'll just be Guy Pierce and What's Her Face staring at each other with tons of tattoos on their body, and it'll just be them reading the tattoos off each other.
1: Just be like, oh, you went to Thailand too.
0: And then at the end, when they finally decipher one of the tattoos on the small of her back, it's going to say, this is great IP.
1: Terrific IP. Although, can I add one other point here? Sure. It's interesting that for both day. of us, the takeaway, the takeaway from both uh, Memento mm-hmm. and Blindspot is nothing but full body tattoos. We have not mentioned the fact that both plots are primarily driven by memory loss. That's true. You know, so I feel like maybe it's because all of me and half of you is so offended by the tattoos and like what that would mean for burial rights in the future. Or if we're just afraid of physical pain, we don't want to be tattooed. But the, the memory part does not seem to bug us in the slightest.
0: I just also think it's a testament to the, the weakness of the index card lobby. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> this was never considered that maybe you could just jot down a few notes on an index card. and. <laughs> Whatever happened to Big Sticky? Where's Big Post-it in this whole conversation? <laughs> that's really, that's the real crime. The manufacturing okay. heart of this country has been ripped out
1: well, ripped off piece by piece with a small yeah. strip of adhesive yeah. on the back of it. And okay, we're both out similar. on
0: Memento. I think this is ne- the next one, the last one. I already know the answer to both of these, but uh, I alluded to it in my intro. Uh, in or out, Pusha T's new song, Untouchable.
1: Could I crawl inside of it, like Luke Skywalker, into into a Tauntaun corpse and just live there? I will winter? allow it! Thank you. I could not possibly be more into something. Like, that song. This is a new Pusha single. It dropped on Friday. I had a. You know how. You know how life is in New York, Chris. Sometimes you just gotta walk, right? Yeah, sure. You can't. You can't get in your motorized carriage. You gotta walk the streets. <laughs> yeah. Your
0: You're Vespa's walking. in the shop.
1: And you know how long my walk was?
0: As it long was, as this song was.
1: No, it was six untouchables. I counted. It. <laughs> That's how long my walk was. Sort of you should start
0: Atlantic. using it as a measurement of time. I don't know. I mean, here's. I. I I'm all for artistic growth i think it's really interesting whenever radiohead comes out and it's a completely new sound or whatever mm. but i'm totally fine if he just wants to keep making songs with really like jaw rattling beats and a biggie vocal stab over it like yes. you could have just said like look they never made a better canoe right they've been making <laughs> they the n- same canoe for hundreds of years because it's perfect water vehicle because it's you made the perfect big- rap vehicle you put you a just- biggie sample over hard drums and you just take a tree and you
1: carve it out, and you just you just start
0: floating. Yeah. So float on with Pusha T. This song is so good. Um, I was a huge fan of his solo record. He is now the president of Good Music.
1: And here's the thing: I actually, I spoke, I didn't speak ill of the man, but I sold him short because when Kanye announced that that, that our man Pusha, who by the way I do feel like he's our man, he he is a contemporary of ours. If he, if he ever changes Twitter handle, Pusha T seventy seven, Pusha T seventy seven, or <laughs> probably at armed robbery. But, <laughs> When they named him president of Good Music, I was like, "This seems just like a, a kindness, like 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 a mitzvah." You know what I mean? Oh, like, like
0: you thought it was like a like making him the ambassador to, to to the Netherlands or something?
1: Yeah, it's just like here's a solid, like here's a right. nice. It's your parachute. Here's here, here's your yearly salary because I'm never going to get you platinum, you know. And <laughs> right. your singles are going to come out once a year because I'm busy doing art exhibitions in South Korea. But then he had this one. In, he just had this one in the chamber. And I know his songs. His rap songs sound better than other people's rap songs. He raps better than them. Agree. And you know what he says on this track?
0: <laughs> you tell me. I haven't listened to the lyrics.
1: <laughs> you, really, you only. You only. Listen I just. I, it. To, I. I.
0: I experience tra- traumatic memory loss as soon as the Biggie sample comes in, and then I wake up with tattoos all over my body.
1: It's ironic that you should say that because I have every lyric of the song tattooed on my forechest, just <laughs> so like the part of my chest that is above my chest. <laughs> he. He. He says that. He mentions a show that we used to talk about on our old podcast. What's that? It's a Netflix series.
0: Uh, Daredevil?
1: It's a Netflix. It's an hour long Netflix. Oh, House of Cards. Is he talking
0: about Frank Underwood?
1: It's a show that is not really in English. Marco Polo, obviously. No. (laughs) Sense 8? No. It's set in South America?
0: Oh, Narcos! (laughs) He talks about Narcos, that's right. I forgot about that. Clearly listens to our show. Yeah, he probably does, just like Obama. Because there is no way that he just
1: watched a television show that was relatively popular that is relevant to his subject interest and mentioned in a song. No, he actually had to listen to a fringe podcast mentioning it (laughs) in order to put it into his rap. That's what a good president of good music does.
0: Okay, so we're both in on that. That's been in and out We'll try and do that every week just so we can keep part of the headlines, man. Just, Just keep part of the conversation. That was a fun and enjoyable segment, Andy. Hey, thanks, pal. I thought so, too. Uh, Let's talk about The Leftovers. Change gears a little bit.
1: Ooh, okay. (laughs) Let me stretch. Let me stretch.
0: Um, Oh, and just so you guys know, there's been a lot of requests, and we're going to try and be better about this this time around. There is a Twitter handle for the podcast called At The Watch Pod, and after episodes, we are going to try and be a little bit better about putting time codes in there, because I know... Sensitive little sunflowers out there. don't want spoilers. I, mm-hmm. I I totally understand what you guys are saying. So we will try and put time codes in the Twitter feed. Look to that for that.
1: And should we also just throw in, since we're doing it now, another little programming note, which is just reminding people that our podcast, this podcast is called The Watch. It's at The Watch Pod on Twitter.
0: Mm-hmm. You can subscribe but to at it. The on. Moment, you should subscribe to Channel 33. That's what I wanted to say for yeah, now. So that you can get that on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. And that this, this feed will fe- feature me and Andy doing The Watch. Me and Juliet doing Sources Say, our NBA podcast, the Andy Greenwald podcast, which is Andy's interview show, and a lot of other surprises. Juliet's going to have her own show where she's going to be doing a bunch of different stuff. So if you enjoyed those podcasts from the Grantland days, uh, we're really excited to give you guys new stuff. So yeah. let, let's talk about The Leftovers.
1: Now let's talk about what was the most depressing thing on television. Um, yes.
0: Well, before I, we get to the, the episode, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's better to start macro, right?
1: Yeah, that's what I wanted to do, yeah. Okay, because... so...
0: Um, This is the show is a little bit of a punching bag for us last season, a lovable punching bag. I mean, I think we admired some of the stuff it was going for, but that essentially like we didn't really think it was pulling off what it was doing last season. And uh, this has been a a, a, quite a tremendous turnaround turnaround for this show. So why don't you talk a little bit, if you can, about what the leftovers, how 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 they fix the leftovers?
1: I think this is one of the most remarkable things to happen in TV since I started paying close attention to TV, which I think was when I was bored at my grandmother's house and so I would just read TV Guide like a magazine when I was six years old. Um, yeah I didn't like the show at all in the first um, we were season. quite quite vocal about it. Um, I, I found it just weirdly sort of messy and sloppy and off-putting in a lot of ways and you know when we talked um, when we hosted Bill's Show last week we talked about the importance of just enjoying the situation that you're putting yourself in every week with Mm -hmm. a TV show. and was just not a place I wanted to be. Now, as you alluded to, it was hard not to admire that because it was clear that Damon Lindelof and his people were just trying to deal with stuff that is not necessarily that pleasant full stop, and they were not shying from that. It was about grief. It was about trauma. Um, But those are very uh, internal emotions,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, and 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 it's very reactive. And TV generally, TV drama is generally a lot more active. So when the show is renewed... Honestly, I really wasn't sure why, because I'd heard that you know the the show is based on a Tom Perrotta novel of the same name. Tom Perrotta developed the show with Damon Lindelof. From people who had read the novel, made it clear to me that the show first season basically burned through the book and literally burned through everything at the end of the season. Um, So what was there left to do? When I wrote about the first few episodes of the second season for for Grantland, I was clear even then, and I wrote this that the fix, the, the repair job, was almost unparalleled. Like. The degree to which Lindelof and his people went in, considered everything that didn't work, and tried to find a way to make it work was really something. Yeah. The thing that I want to say, uh, I mean, so they, they, the setting was, was snowy and drab and uninteresting. They moved it to Texas, and they moved it to a place that was interesting.
0: Everything, it seems like almost everything was polar opposite, yeah.
1: The first season was about a place that had been traumatized, where people had left, and this, they were just all reacting to this terrible thing that had happened. The new town, Texas, in, at Jarden or Miracle, whatever you want to call it, that is, it is an active mystery. Things are still happening there. There are things that are unclear and new relationships to unfold and, and, and develop. What I'm really struck by about this show and this season is just the way that everything was meticulously pieced together mm-hmm. so that characters vanish and when they come back, the timing is like, it, it, it's like there's a stopwatch running in the back. I mean, obviously this is scripted. It's not like it's improv and they're very good at it. But... Every scene is linked. Every emotion is linked. And it seems to be telling a story that is drawn so tightly together that it's almost impossible not to keep watching it. Yes. You, you, you said this, something. You, you can repeat this here. You, you talked about how you just find it supremely watchable in a way that it wasn't. In the
0: past. Well, I think that the the mapleton to jarden jump is really yeah. important here because there was something and I, I think that this probably happens to a lot of television shows and we just don't notice it maybe we don't care enough about those shows and i think when lindelof makes something i mean this is a guy who wrote Lost, like you know who worked on loss like you're gonna be interested you like there's a lot of expectations about it and yeah. you know we've often talked about people having the time to mm, correct mistakes and how that yeah. often does not happen in television There was something about the setting in the first season and the environment of the first season where the people were sort of dealing with this traumatic event and their reaction to it was, despite the fact that there were still people walking around in white and smoking and standing in front of moving vehicles, life was pretty much going on as it would. And I think that there was some 9-11, you know, parallels there where it was like, you know, life changed, but life often, like, like, in a lot of ways, life went on just as it had before. And and there was just, like, a cloud over it, but it wasn't markedly different than life before. And I think a lot of the plot line about, like, say, Jill, who was just sort of, like, a nihilistic teenager, alluded to that. What Jardín did was, like, no, it would be really weird if this happened. Like, yeah. life would be different. Everything from government to policing... To you know, municipal services To family relationships To interpersonal relationships And community relationships And prayer and faith And organized religion It would all be different And it would be all different all the time And the thing that they did To really, really hammer that home And I don't think you realize it as much Until there, there are little keys here and there and, and, and Sunday Night's episode definitely had one Which is that th- this has been An incredibly compressed period of time that we're right. watching the second season. So the tension is inevitably going to be ramped up and the weirdness and the unease is going to be ramped up in, in the first season, I felt like it was just way too meditative and gray. And it was like, Hmm. And this one is like gripping, you know, the armrests really hard.
1: Yeah. It, it, the, the emotional effect. I mean, I, and I didn't already say it, I'm shocked, but I'm, I'm all in now. I'm really enjoying and respecting the show a lot. Um, Let's think about specific things. I think a lot of things that you just mentioned were there in the first season, but they were pivoted slightly differently. So, we saw some changes in policing and government work, and we sure. saw the desire to have cults because so much of that first season was set in that awful smoking cult, um,
0: or you know, or that the, the the hugging cult.
1: Yeah, or the hugging. What was the? Um, uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, the smoking cult was called Sterling Cooper, right? <laughs> I believe That's that right. was what they. <laughs> but the second season, by pivoting it to this town where people where no one departed. What we're seeing is a sort of a a, a commercialized theologistic um, orgy of of fascination and and desperation and hope in this camp outside of this town where people just want to get in, mm-hmm. and what they want in and what they want to access to is just kind of a boring small town, or it appears to be boring, right? Um, also, let's think about the lead, right? So Justin Theroux is a very good actor; he delivered a very Memorable and intense performance in the first season, but by the end of it, I never kind of never wanted to see him again because he was essentially a blunt object. He was just like, he, he would, with his rage iPod, you know, and his punching the walls and the dogs and the tattoos and his like constant showing off of his jogging and physique. He, he was like he was like John McClane stuck on a Sundance TV drama. Yeah, he seemed wildly out of place, which probably was the point, but it was seemed like a misuse of him. This season, I will say my, the thing that I still like least about the show are his. Artfully pointed sideburns. I feel like he has other things to worry about since yeah. sculpting his sideburns every week. Um, he is now being beset with everything. So he is now in a position of having to react, which is he was not doing in the first season. He was, you know, this sort of impotent rage and he was trying to act. The way he's played this with every, with basically, he's losing his mind. Yeah. He hasn't clearly lost his mind. I think that mind. in
0: the first season, the the idea is that Kevin thinks he's fine. And in the second season, Kevin knows he's not fine.
1: Right. And that and that has a been natural, a huge change. That's a natural progression. That mm-hmm. was built into it. But it, there's, I think they're doing something kind of interesting. They're kind of subverting his machismo a lot. It, you know, that in this episode where all these women try to talk to him and help him, and he just can't listen. You know, he feels like he has to fix, he has to do something, even to the point of swallowing a mug full of homebrew poison Yeah, uh, just to try to be active was really striking. Um, the thing about this season, was that episode seven? Yes. And they're, they're, yeah, seven three, night, there are There are only on three Sunday more. Night. And the whole thing has been drawn so tautly, and this, the possibility of new mystery is so vibrant. And the themes it's playing with are so compelling. The, the, there was a line that, that, and Carrie Coon is just a terrific actress, and, and Regina King, and the two of them together, that was, I know people talked about the Ronda Rousey fight, but this, to my mind, was a much more heavyweight battle. I mean, that, was, that was like
0: they, 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 they really did the master thing right there. They, 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 did, that, they did it. It was great. Talk.
1: And the emotion was just dancing on their faces. And there was a thing that, that, um, that Carrie Coon's character that Nora said that was really staggering when she said, terrible things happen, I don't have the exact quote, but she said, terrible things happen in the world, and only comfort is the knowledge that we are powerless to stop them. Uh-huh. To, or even, or in some ways, to, to be involved in them in any way was the implication. Right. And what was so rich about her saying that, obviously that's a huge idea. But as a character who needs to believe that, because earlier in the hour it basically implied that she's the reason that three girls just is because she is a lens for like bad juju, and people just disappear when she's around them. Um, but it's also a very, very heavy thought, and you know, 9 you nine eleven, um, and anytime anyone mentions that, you know, I think about where I was in New York City and how, after walking uptown with what felt like all of the city. You know, I walked through Central Park, and there were people playing frisbee. And when I got up to the Upper West Side, where my uh, girlfriend's grandparents lived, there were people dining al fresco because it was a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. And this idea of people saying, "You know, we have to keep going because what else can we do? We are powerless in these large, you know, these global scale events." Yeah, it it can be um, very, very a- a- alluring to feel that way. And well- you know, even. Not to make it too real, you know, to, to watch television like this on a weekend when there's more horror in the world. It's 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 probing at stuff that is very discomforting and very engaging, but it's doing so in a way that is entertaining, and I think that's a really rare combination.
0: Yeah, and I think that that you know, I was going to talk about this a little bit later, but obviously the events that happened in Paris on Friday were kind of a, a, I I you couldn't help and you still can't help but view a lot of things through the present, right? And. I've thought about this for a long time with I've thought about this before Friday with Homeland with uh, Leftovers and Homeland particularly and the way that um these shows seem to have a relationship with the larger world and also just like a way, the way that I think that we all probably in a in a in a certain way, a lot of people, especially in the States, relate to the global situation that's happening right now. And, you know, I, I was thinking a lot about how Modernism like rose up out of World War One as a reaction to the just sort of unprecedented savagery of that war and how you know this machinery was cutting down an entire generation of people and just literally, literally chopping them to pieces and that and that um, modernism sort of broke language in the same way that they felt like the world had been broken by by these machines uh, of war and tried to put it back together in the way that they the best way that they could and I was thinking about that in relationship to the the age of terror or whatever you want to call these last these last 10, 10 years or so 15 years or so and um the way in which we repeatedly and increasingly need to somehow relate a global narrative to our own personal narrative mm-hmm. and to feel important in the face of utter unimportance and it's interesting how both of these shows have over and over again, in different ways, address the idea of like whether or not the world is happening to you. I mean, Carrie's insistence on Homeland that the Russians are after her and that this is about her and that if she could stop something or if she doesn't do something, something terrible is going to happen. And that almost mania that she had I mean, she is a mentally ill person and that incredible narcissism that she has, even though it's often proven to be completely valid and the questions that the people on on leftovers are dealing with are not un not totally dissimilar a lot of it has to do with what could i have done why wasn't it me you know why wasn't i either chosen or why was i left behind this idea of lenses this idea of demons inside of you this idea of like i'm the only person who can see this person in white with me it's like well no you might you're 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 psychotic you're having a psychotic break it's like no i am a it, you know, he doesn't want to be that person, but he believes that he is walking with a ghost, you know?
1: Well, or, or that, the, that the, the ground opened up and drained an entire reservoir to save him. Exactly. That he is holy in some way, that any of us are holy. That question in this episode about what, um, what their son is doing now, where he's, he's taken on this Holy Wayne hugging thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's just a question of how you frame it. Like, people who are sad, when you get hugged, feel good. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it a magical lifting of grief? I don't know, and who are we to judge? And what's remarkable about the season is the way it's recalibrated that scale, because that is a very difficult place to exist in for drama, particularly TV drama, a place where you say, I don't know, I'm kind of asking, and here I'm about to say something that actually references Lost in a potentially negative way, but here it's quite positive, which is, I'm just asking questions
0: here. Yes, and so that's a great point. And what I really wanted to talk about was I'd read something recently that Lindelof had talked, I think. What was the last interview he sort of gave was sort of significant? This Hollywood Reporter. Or?
1: Well, he he he's given some quotes, including some really ace Walking Dead trolling to Alan Steppenwolf throughout okay. this season. But um, I th- you might be thinking, was it before last season? Was no, it New was something where
0: he re- he referenced. I he he talked about how depression sort of hung over that first season of leftovers. Yeah, but he also talked a little bit about Prometheus and how he had gotten this Prometheus script to work on that John Spates had written. I think it was then called Alien Zero or something like that. And it was a very clear line right up to Alien One. Like the script was basically just doing the work to get from mm-hmm. this prequel point to the first Alien film. And he was like, Well, why did they send this to me? I you know, why would you bring me into do to, to something unless you wanted me to do what I do to these things? And yeah. I you know, we we have often really highly praised television shows and writers who um work like to to borrow an Andyism, like basically do clockwork. Like Breaking Bad was like a perfectly Constructed piece of machinery that yeah. like, Every piece fit together and it, every Question was, a, was answered and every Rube Goldberg machine exactly uh, That's not Damon Lindelof you know and I think That over the course of this season I've become more And more comfortable with Questions not being answered um, Mysteries of the uni- universe Not being solved and that was a major Thing that was even in earlier in the second season Blocking me from I think fully enjoying the season I mean, It's hard to enjoy something that's so dark anyway But was blocking me from really like appreciating what I was seeing because I was like, he's not going to tell me who the guy in the tower is in the middle of town or what the water does or why there was an earthquake but, or whether or not Holy Wayne was holy or what the government is doing with the bodies that they got in the first season and all here's this the stuff.
1: Here, here's, the, here's the fascinating tension, and it exists on the screen and it exists when we talk about it and around the show to me, which is that, and I've said this recently with you on, on some of the shows we've been doing, I don't think anyone is better at pure TV storytelling than Damon Lindelof. Mm-hmm. I think that the Clockwork Rube Goldberg stuff—he is a next-level genius. at. and what's been so fascinating well, about the show the is that, this, the central tension here is between someone who can paint like like Norman Rockwell but dreams of being Jackson Pollock. Yeah, and this is this is the tension, right? And on on some episodes, from to my mind, the weakest episode of the season, in many ways, was the 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 Matt Jameson Job episode mm-hmm. where, you know, he keep all these awful things keep befalling him um, as he attempts to get back into the town. And the reason I found that one hard to watch was not because it was tonally exactly right. It was thematically exactly right. It was well placed in the season. It did a good job with these characters and expanding the world while telling a very specific story. Yeah, But it was also, for me, it was the grinding of gears. It was the sort of thing that I, I knew that all these bad things were going to happen because they were set up so elegantly. You know, he drops his phone in the toilet. You know, the, the next one thing after another keeps yeah. happening. And for me, that sort of entertainment, is, is that, that makes me uncomfortable. But yeah. I think it's probably supposed to. But I think, uh, anyway, just to bring it all the way full circle, but that's what's been so amazing to me about the season, is the way that it has found a balance between those two instincts. It's, it is it is. Deeply discomforting television, but it is supremely well constructed. And you usually don't get both, or you don't get a healthy balance of the two. And, you know, just to go specifics on this last episode, you don't see stuff like this. Yeah. Right? Like this episode was really went for it.
0: Yeah. Like, and it never, it, and it, it was interesting. It, it stayed with Kevin's perspective, it never broke. You could feel the world kind of caving in around him. You could definitely feel why he you know, Jill is with Lori. He, she, her mother is there. So he leaves the two of them together. But, it's like, she has taken Lori care in. of. He knows that he's, his fingerprints are going to be discovered. Nora has left him and this is his only way out. And he's just decided that, that this is it. You know what I mean? And I, I, I was right there with them. I was just like, so in that moment with those, with those characters. And, um, I thought it was very interesting you know, I, I appreciated the fact that they ended with the note that they ended on, which is an obvious like at least potential resurrection on the on the in the cards. Yeah. Rather than end with the shot of the guy blowing his head off and it's just like what the what the hell just happened? You know what I mean? Like because no, to have him come back next week if he does, um, I think that people are starting to get a little tired of like, is he dead? as like being the the main sort of question we're yeah. asking about television. This way I, we come away asking much more, you know, probing questions about life rather than, like, is Kevin alive?
1: Well, much more relevant questions about the show, too, because he's a lot, like, he's coming back. He's the star of the so show. So let me ask, There's,
0: can I ask you a question, so, though, a specific plot point question?
1: Yeah, I did just want to say, though, that Lindelof in interviews has complained about that timing, like, building all these episodes around the Pixies, Where is My Mind? And then Mr. Robot got to it first, and so he feels like oh, he missed frankly, that, and it people first, think yeah. it's copied, even though it was filmed before. Yeah. This timing was great, because this actually, you know is following Game of Thrones and Walking Dead playing coy with the audience. And the reason he was so able to troll Walking Dead, Lindelof was in this interview we did with Sepinwall, which was very funny, um, was because he got this one right. Yeah. He read the mood of the audience right in advance. Um, you know, he, he, my, my, sorry, you had a specific point. I think, I think he's getting buried in a box and coming back after three days, personally. But uh,
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that, like, like the bird, you mean? Like the bird. Yeah. Uh, I was also asking whether or not did you think that Virgil, who I'm not really that familiar with the Aeneid, Aeneid, the Aeneid, but doesn't Virgil go to hell?
1: Oh, oh, interesting. Oh, you're looking for some, uh, in the same Does way he, that, like, John Locke I, was I the I I can't remember
0: my, like, I don't really remember, but, um, <laughs> I never, I well, never basically books, what but. I'm saying is, was that, like, an insane pedophile living in a trailer park who killed himself after killing Kevin, or was he like, I have to kill myself to be your guide and that's my final, like, act of, like, contrition for what I did. Oh, that's interesting.
1: Night. It's interesting. I mean, and, and the, the fact that, I mean, uh, what's his name? The the Murphy's son. Um, Michael. Who was there. Michael. First of all, that, I really like that actor. Yeah, he's really good. Um, yeah, just him being there. And, like, I, I, I love the way the show has built up this perspective thing so that conversations, crucial conversations are happening just out of your shot. Yeah. Like when 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 Kevin walked into them fighting about what was about to go down, um, it's just well done. Yeah, it, it, it's well done. I, I have one other question I was going to ask you. Hit me. What do you think the conversation was, was like with Janelle Maloney's agent?
0: Um, so no disrespect, but do you think that that guy works in a mini mall in Cul- Culver City? Like, the agent? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sure, like he's a powerful person, and I'm just joshing, but like. How do you pitch, how do you feel about just sitting in a wheelchair and getting moisturizing cream put all over your hands for, you know, like six weeks in Texas? Honestly,
1: that sounds great when you pitch it like that. First of all, I've I missed your industry voice. I missed your Mr. Fix-It on the back lot.
0: Janie, baby, come here, sit down. Here's the thing, though. I got a bucket of Lubriderm and a wheelchair with your name on it. Let me just tell you, though, Like, do you like the taste of Ensure? <laughs> Do you saying, like watching like, Christopher Eccleston eat microwave burritos? <laughs> I'd rather be sitting there than eat the burrito. I
1: know. The thing is, you know, the, the rate to be a regular, and she's a regular, yeah. on a cable show is super good. And it's good regardless of whether you have to strip naked and put your body in the stocks on a, you know, know. On a, on a location shoot in Texas, or if you just have Carrie Coon, like, massage your fingers for a while. So it's pretty good. But it is—it is just a weird thing. Like we—we we joked once on HP about just the, the, the conversation that agents or producers have with their clients about sex scenes. Sure. Like I feel like this is this goes in that category. Like, <laughs> you want good news first or bad news first? She's like, "Uh, good news. Good news is you're back, baby."
0: Do you Damon think Lindelof, that she gets like show, a forty-five HBO? minute monologue to close the season?
1: Yeah. No. Exactly. She's gonna she's gonna explain everything. It's gonna be like uh, the end of our town or something. Right. She's <laughs> gonna be like.
0: Uh, I, I feel bad for her um, Alright Andy we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor uh, And we'll be right back to talk a little bit about Homeland and Fargo and wrap things up Today's episode is also brought to you by SeatGeek the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons Podcast As well as our favorite app for purchasing Tickets to sporting events, concerts And whatever else All you have to do is download the free SeatGeek app Use promo code BS and you'll get a $20 rebate Off your first SeatGeek purchase Every ticket purchased on SeatGeek is backed by a 100% guarantee. It's the best, smartest way to buy tickets. Again, download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code BS. Okay, we're back with the Watch Pod. Andy Greenwald, Chris Ryan. Uh, I like how I'm, I'm doing that, like as if we're on drive time radio and people forgot what they were listening to. Um, Andy, we wanted to talk a little bit about the two other shows that have been kind of dominating our conversations those last few weeks That's Homeland and Fargo. Uh, let's start with Homeland.
1: Yeah, we haven't really come out and said it, but like you wrote me a text couple weeks ago, where I think you wrote, Homeland is lit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, I just, like, I was really, you know, it, it, it's... I, we've talked also about how Homeland is, like, ripping off the New York Times front page, you know, and it seems like it's being written in real time, and the prescience of this season is really depressing, depressing, obviously. and Yeah. It, um, You know, I, I think that th- this season has done a really good job about of being, like, smart guy 24. You know what I mean? Where it's just... There are some really insane parts and there are some parts that are just like, Why is this happening this way? And like Peter Quinn becoming a double agent Syrian like
1: Because of the place he chose to pass out? Yeah, right. I exactly. And like this
0: weird that doctor who's just like, Come sit in the bed. It's like
1: First of all, a weird doctor that says, Come sit in the bed, don't go to that doctor anymore. Right. Secondly, the fact that they called attention to it this week where Peter's meeting with Dara Dahl, and he's like, you just wandered in with him? He's like, I did.
0: Yeah, like, he's great like, great I was fortune. on the docks and this this nice guy. Uh...
1: But I, I think you hit at something really true because I've really been enjoying the season. It's a huge improvement. It really speaks to the kind of show that it It just knows it what it be. is. It knows what it is. It's good at what it is for the most part. Um, Manny Patinkin is on one. He's having a great time. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, who is the dude that found the eyeglasses that fit... Patinkin's face so
0: perfectly. Those are customs, Honestly, dog. You know Patinkin's got money. I know he's got money, but I feel like glasses I aren't know, really... Why am I calling that... him Patinkin? Like, I'm like, Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> Listen, the
1: thi- I- I've met the man once. I feel like what he cares most about are original cast recordings. You know what I mean? Not, yeah. like, quality eyewear. And they really, they're, like, carved into his, into his beard, like, out of granite. Anyway, but the elements of the show that frustrate... I mean, the re- one of the reasons why I've made peace with it is because I literally just, like... What's the song from Frozen? I just made that happen. Let it go. You know? Yeah. I just, I just got over it's it, lit. and I'm enjoying the good <laughs> That's part That's the song from Frozen. <laughs> Whatever it's called. I don't, I don't, I don't listen to original cast recordings. But the, the point being, those things that frustrate are still so frustrating because it still could be a little bit better. Because as you're saying, as, as you've said, the show is shockingly prescient this year in a way that is almost unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about being a smart person is 24 means that it reverts to the 24 model, which is kind of exceptionalism and arrogance yeah. right in a very different way now you made a crucial point before when you talked about how Carrie actually is mentally ill but the show toys with that it gives us that but it always reverts back to a very 24 place which is yeah she screwed up but she's always right
0: yeah right right and and now it, it even is like i mean i think that there's her using her her sort of her illness a as superpower. a superpower is sort of interesting uh I also wanted to shout out this, so did you watch this past Sunday's episode?
1: I did, and I was, you know, weirdly, I don't know, I don't know what this says, like, I was, I was eager to
0: watch it. Shout like out was, to the guy who was like, I'm getting my MBA in night school! <laughs> it's like you're going to have a <laughs> long and happy life driving <laughs> Carrier Madsen around in a cab. That's what I was going to say. If you That's like the Game of Thrones cool. guy who's like, <laughs> I can't wait to get back to see my sons! <laughs> that, that
1: dude just, they got so McBain. Like if you were ever in a close space with Gary Madison, don't talk about your dreams for the future. Yeah, right. Don't talk about how many more tours of duty you have to do before you get that brass, that gold watch. <laughs> Just don't do it, man. Ugh. Don't do it. But the 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 fact that it all is hinging on the other thing. Randa Otto is great. Like that whole her that whole nervous
0: breakdown was awesome.
1: That was some. You know what that was? That was acting. Yeah, that was some good acting. Um, you know, and you and you mentioned this, like the fact that that the you know Quinn's homies. We're just like, we were thinking about blowing stuff up here in Berlin. You think that's a bad look? Like, that was very intense to be watching yeah. this weekend. And I guess... Quinn's
0: Homies would be a great Homeland sp- spinoff.
1: I would definitely watch that show. <laughs> but I, I I just think, like...
0: Joel Edgerton in Quinn's Homies.
1: It's, is Edgerton available? He's interested in the IP, yes. <laughs> it, it, it would be the dudes from Strike Back, whichever one of their shows get canceled first. And Blind okay. Buck got renewed, so it's the dude from The Player. He's one of Quinn's Homies. Um, kind of into that show now, by the way. Just Quinn just, like, falling asleep on docks in different major metropolitan capitals. He's <laughs> getting operated
0: like... on by strangers and then falling just, into cool plots, yeah.
1: Just who picks them up, yeah. you know? <laughs> that would actually be pretty good. Um,
0: I'm in a book club.
1: <laughs> you know how, like, <laughs> have you ever seen, I feel, was it Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, or, like, All Things About Magic Forever, where they're, like, magicians, in order to do their magic, they have to, like, Cut their hand a little bit, or like use their blood.
0: Yeah, you know, you always got to use a little bit of blood in the, the right. So, brewing.
1: what I'm saying is maybe that's the way to defeat global terrorism is if you just get someone like, like Peter, Peter Quinn. You just you just give yourself a little bit of light knife work, and then you lie down, on in, 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 like the bad part of town. This someone isn't the leftovers. You yeah,
2: <laughs> you're gonna get scooped. Yeah.
1: Um. Wait. Yeah. I, anyway, we're we're we're, we're circling. So oh, that's good. No. That I, I, I was here's what I was gonna say. It's remarkable. How ripped from the headlines the show has become, and I think the show, the people behind it, would be not thrilled that anything bad happened in the world. But they want to be surfing that edge. What was interesting was on a weekend like this, I think the show is diminished in mm-hmm. a lot, in a in a in a in a big way because it cannot actually do the thing where it's about their. It, it can't be both. It can't be about the scale of terror and be about Carrie Matheson misses her boyfriend and her billionaire protector is gonna, you know give her another plane to help her get out of it. It also makes me
0: feel gross because as somebody who enjoys like a, a masculine speech in an action film or crime film, you know, like Quinn's speech in the beginning about Syria, like in the beginning of the season, you're like, Oh, what a well-written little bit Mm -hmm. of dialogue. And then you just feel like an absolute piece of human garbage for like, even get gleaning any aesthetic pleasure from a television show. When you're actually seeing what's really happening in that television show take place in real life. That's, that's the trade off we make.
1: Let's, Let's uh, let's go to the Midwest for a minute. Because we want to touch it on Fargo. We, we, a
0: sensational episode of Fargo. Can we shout out Jeffrey Reiner and Noah Hawley and and that like the editing? Who edited that sh- that episode? Because you're getting an Emmy. That <laughs> episode last night was was that Rino- rhinoceros? Was that what that was called?
1: Do you think everyone working in post production on that show? It's like it's like Oprah. Like look under your seats. I you mean, get, an you Emmy. get
0: an Emmy. No, because like the thing is is that I think that I would now I almost want to go back and rewatch. We've talked before. We talked. Remember, we were talking about Bourdain and how on his CNN show they will use basically a visual motif and shoot each episode in a different way. Usually, as like an homage to a different filmmaker or filmmaking style. And I have never really thought about that with Fargo. I think we talked about the Coen brothers' influence, and there's a lot of like symmetrical shots and um, sort of visual irony that they use that I think they borrow from from the Coens. But So this episode, they just decided to make a 70s crime film all the way down to, like, the freeze frames and the percussive undercurrent of music. And it just felt like Assault on Precinct 13 meets, like, 52 Pickup. And it was amazing. It was just a great episode. It was so tense.
1: I want to suggest an alternate title for Fargo Season 2. Okay. And even if you haven't watched it yet, I don't think this is a spoiler. Um, It could be called Fargo be called Fargo Season 2, or it could be called When Is Ted Danson Going to Die? <laughs> because that is the show I'm watching. From the first minute he ambled onto the screen oh. and was like, well, I'm just here to, here to help you for dinner. Why well, don't I just you guys
0: over even though you've all got guns? <laughs> like, he will...
1: Yeah, but, like The show is deliciously playing with us because we know that Patrick Wilson is not going to die. Yes. And... The show is also, as it proved in the first season, and as these things tend to go, it is certainly not shy about offing major characters.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, everybody loves Raymond, but everybody chopped his brother's head off. You know what I mean? That that aspect of last night, it, it was one of those things where, as cliches, as well used storytelling devices become tropes, become cliches in TV. The, the most impressive thing that a storyteller can do is completely inverted yeah. to play off of our expectation and so the fact that even at the end when we know that the guy Hound is in the woods stalking jesse Clemens, and ted danson shows up i'm like well, okay he prepared to die the first time so clearly that'll be the surprise death at the end of this one
2: sure
1: the fact that they just you know Clemens takes off and and danson and wilson get in the car and drive away and you you end the episode with an exhalation that was the best part yeah because we had plenty of tension in the middle
0: I do want to bring up one uh, critique that I have here, just more oh. of a question, really, right? So the, sort of, one of the central plot points of, of Fargo this season is this turf war between the Gerhardt family and the Kansas City mafia. Mm. A- and it's like, you know, they really, really want this territory. It's like Minnesota, North Dakota, is North Dakota or South Dakota?
1: North. Well, well Fargo, North Dakota, and then they're in Minnesota.:
0: Yeah. These's um, the other characters. They really really want this why? Like, are you trying to sell cocaine to bison? Like, I because like at least in Twin Peaks, like there was like the sh- you, you get to see like the lumber bar where like the prostitutes and the drug deals happen. What I jacks? But in Fargo, it's like literally like, are you trying to get Noreen at the butcher shop on on like on coke? Like, what is like what is the crime element of this area? It's like yes, they, they you there's... win you win the war with the Gerhards and you just survey all you have there and you're like yes. Yes, Minnesota
1: is mine. Talking, <laughs> like, talking about Kierkegaard with a coked up cashier yeah. would be an unreal, uh, just, you know, web. maybe like that's the web series, you know, like the second screen. I mean, it's a
0: valuable IP. You got to do um, what you can with it.
1: Just super, super zooted bison is another great idea. <laughs> I'm kind of into
0: it. Coke um, bison and quin homies. We, get, we just keep coming up with suggest- shows here.
1: Here's what I'm going to suggest. Yeah. There's. There, to here are two potential serious answers and then I'd like to take and I'd like to take a moment and come up with a funnier one. (laughs) I I think that potentially what we're seeing here is, you know, just it's the corporatization of mom and pop shops, right? In the same way that um, McDonald's doesn't to be successful, McDonald's doesn't need to be the the only burger shop in, you know, the the northernmost tip of Maine, but their brand is dominant, so they have to be there. Like you have to anywhere you go they have to be there and they have to be touching it. Otherwise, it's not, you know, they want it all. That's it. The other possibility is, you know, in this episode, um, Gene Smart's character Floyd says that, you know, go get my grandson and we'll dash in winnipeg so that suggests that yeah and i know is, that
0: they're talking also about the, like the security of like the trucking routes and stuff like that i get that but, there's like some value but i just it's, it's very hilarious to me to watch them be like we need to fight for this territory it's like yo, for the vmw hall like saskatoon
1: is lit that's not exactly like, south no beach idea. yeah <laughs> you have no idea what goes on north of the border
0: okay man um well I uh, We'll keep watching Fargo and Homeland and Leftovers. We'll be back next week with a pre-Thanksgiving pod on for The Watch.
1: Yeah, and I want to talk about um, the new Netflix show Jessica Jones, which is based on one of the best comic books of the last 20 years. Does that years. come out Friday? Alias, yeah. That's okay, well, Friday. we'll try.
0: I'll, I'll watch some of that, and if, if listeners want to follow along, they can, they can jump on a couple episodes there. Uh, as always, you can subscribe to The Watch through the Channel 33 podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Uh, We are part of the Bill Simmons Podcast Network. This has been The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. Happy birthday, Baranski! (laughs) Later, buddy.